Hello there and welcome to episode number 475 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and my guest today is YA author, reviewer, and editor Dahlia Adler. We are going to talk about all the badass anthologies she's editing, about her upcoming book, Home Field Advantage, and her latest novel, Cool for the Summer. And inspired by a recent Instagram pic of her Bantam Love Stories collection, we also talk about vintage YA romances. And heads up in that part of the conversation, we do discuss the fat phobia in Sweet Valley High. If you would like to see or check out the Instagram or the books we talk about, have a look at the show notes where I will have links to every possible thing you could possibly imagine. Thank you and hello to our Patreon community. If you have supported the show, you're making sure every episode gets a transcript and that every episode is accessible to everyone. Hello to Jill, Eliza, April, and RL, who are some of our newest patrons. Welcome. If you'd like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. This podcast is brought to you in part by Quip. When is the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's smart electric toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. Quip's smart electric toothbrushes for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. It tracks when and how well you brush, so you get tips and coaching on how to improve your habits. Plus, it has sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that is gentle on sensitive gums. Hi, yes, that is me. The rewards are pretty amazing. You earn daily points for brushing two minutes twice a day, and you earn bonus points for completing challenges like streaks. Then you can redeem points for Quip and Partner rewards. There's even a $2,500 bathroom makeover sweepstakes. Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today. Go to getquip.com smart right now and save $10 on a Quip Smart Electric Toothbrush. That's $10 off a smart electric toothbrush at getquip.com smart. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com smart. Quip, the good habits company. This podcast is brought to you in part by Rothy's. It's 2021 and nobody has time for uncomfortable shoes. And that's where Rothy's come in. Their fan favorite styles are sustainably made with materials like plastic water bottles. They're available in tons of shapes, styles, and colors, and you can always find the right one for you. I am currently coveting the driving moccasin. And as I may have mentioned before, they are washable. They are comfortable, they are stylish, and fully machine washable. It is my favorite thing about them. They're lightweight, they're easy to travel with. If they get dirty, I chuck them in the washing machine and they come out looking perfect. I wear them and I look dressed up and I'm comfortable. And if they get dirty, hello, washing machine. Head into fall with best sellers like their flats, loafers, and sneakers. They've got spacious, washable handbags, perfect for carrying everything you need. And they've just launched a men's line with the same comfort and attention to detail created with nearly zero waste. I love something that is high in comfort and style and extremely low maintenance to take care of. And this would be why I own about six pair of Rothy's. Keep it fresh this summer heading into fall with washable shoes and bags from Rothy's. Head to rothys.com slash Sarah to find your new washable favorites today. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Sarah. This podcast is brought to you in part by Amazon Music. Since you're listening to this show, I think it's probably safe to say you like listening to podcasts. So heads up, you can find a ton of binge-worthy podcasts, including this one, on Amazon Music. Amazon Music has more than 10 million free podcast episodes to listen to, and you can listen to shows like Smart Less one week before everyone else and ad-free on Amazon Music. But Amazon Music isn't just for podcasts. It has music in the name, and they have thousands of music stations and top playlists to stream for free. I really like listening to very mellow instrumental music in the evening and while I'm working, and one of my favorite new stations on Amazon Music is their lo-fi hip-hop collection. 
It's part dreamy and part rhythmic, and it just soothes my brain at the end of the day. And I can listen on my Bluetooth speaker from my phone, from any Alexa device, and on my computer in my office. It's everywhere. If you've never tried Amazon Music Unlimited, now is a great time. For a limited time, new customers can try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. No credit card required. Just go to amazon.com slash trashybooks. That's amazon.com slash trashybooks to try Amazon Music Unlimited free for three months. Amazon.com slash trashybooks. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Terms apply. This podcast episode is brought to you in part by Way. That's O-U-A-I. They have a detox shampoo that I absolutely love. As I've mentioned, taking really good care of my hair and changing how I care for it has made a massive difference in how I start my day and how I feel. And since I'm a person who absolutely loves to hit the reset button, whether that's decluttering the closet because I'm feeling cranky or slowing down so I can pay attention to what I'm doing, I am curious about options that help me streamline my process. The Way Detox Shampoo is some clarifying magic. I've been trying out a few different products and some of them worked great, but after a while there's buildup. The Way Detox Shampoo smells so lovely, and after washing, my hair felt so soft, not at all dry or fragile. I follow up with their super rich conditioner and spritz their leave-in, and my hair loves their leave-in conditioner, by the way. It is wonderful. And Way's line of products are cruelty-free, sulfate-free, and paraben-free. When you're ready to undo some damage, hit the reset button with the Way Detox Shampoo. Go to theway, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and use code SPTB to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, code S-P-T-B. And now, on with the podcast. I'm Dahlia Adler. I am an author of mostly young adult, but um, during the phase of new adult, I had some of those novels as well. Um, I also um, founded a website called LGBTQ Reads, um, which curates LGBTQ plus book recs for all ages. And I blog for BuzzFeed books. Um, And among my books are most recently my novel, Cool for the Summer, which is sort of bisexual Greece with better life choices, uh, <laughs> as I like to put it. Um, and right before that, I had an anthology, also YA, called That Way Madness Lies, which is all reimaginings of Shakespeare's works. Um, and coming up, I have a sapphic sports romance, also YA, called Home Field Advantage, coming in June 2022. And then right after that will be another anthology called At Midnight, which is all fairy tale reimaginings. So generally busy. <laughs> Lots of things to ask you about here. First of okay. all, I'm going to sound like such a creeper that I'm like stalking your Instagram, but I saw you just got a shiny brand new bound manuscript of your book. I did. I'm so excited about it. I can't even tell you what like pulling teeth this book was over years. And it like it was literally written over the course of two different maternity leaves. Wow. Like, <laughs> Is basically, I never would have finished it this year, except that I had maternity leave uh, or finished it last year. Um, and so that's how I, I was able to do it. But it was such a struggle to, um, you know, there were all these things I kind of wanted it to be. And I couldn't get it all together with like what the book needed to be and what it was going to be and, a you know, a really constructive direction. So um, it took some time and some <laughs> outside counsel. Um, but I am so, so happy to just hold home field advantage in my hands. I can't get over it. It's so what wild. will readers find inside home field advantage? They will find the story of um, a romance between 
uh, an aspiring cheer captain and the school's new very unwelcome first female quarterback. Um, they will find queer solidarity. Um, the cheerleader's um, best friend is also on the football team, and he and she have had sort of a fomance going on for several reasons, you know, not least of which is to keep them both in the closet. They're in the Florida panhandle, so, you know, they're sort of biding their time until they can get somewhere that's a little queer friendlier. Um, so you will definitely find that. Um, it's dual POV, which I actually haven't done for romance where the two characters are the main character and love interest. Right. I've only done where they're friends. Um, so that's new for me, which is really fun. Um, yeah. And you will find uh, football and you will find cheerleading and you will find kissing and flirting and banter and a weird bowling alley. That's sort of like if your grandmother lived in a Victorian Gothic brothel kind of vibe. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my favorite thing. Um, my favorite scene is, um, yeah, set set there. Um, and you will find dealing with um, misogyny and secrets and betrayal and conversations about coming out. Um, and if you're familiar with um, published queer young adult fiction, it's like very much a mashup of She Drives Me Crazy by Kelly Quinlan and Like Other Girls by Britta London with a little bit of Some Girls Do by Jennifer Dugan. Wow. Yeah, which when I started it, it was not like anything. Um, if you're familiar with the, it was a photograph that ran in the New York Times that inspired the whole book. And it's a photograph of a cheerleader doing a female football player's hair. And at the time, everybody went nuts over it, assuming that it was a couple. And it turns out that they weren't. Um, but it was too late. Like, yep. fire was ignited. I was writing this book. Um, that was the dream. So wow. <laughs> so so excited to be able to bring like the fake story behind that picture to life. Um that was that was really really fun. And it sounds like you're writing into existence worlds that you want to be in. So not only do you have yeah. a queer friendly <laughs> setting but you also have this outstanding bowling alley. So you're basically writing your ideal universe into being. I that's that's why I got into writing. Yeah. So I, I am I'm somebody who is a modern Orthodox Jewish, like religion is a part of my life. And it Lashana Tova, um, by the way. Oh, thank you to you as well. Thank um, you very and much. I enjoy it. Like there's, there's a lot about the life that I love, but there were also things I knew I was, I wasn't going to be living, you know? Yeah. So I grew up reading like Sweet Valley High and I was like, this, like going to the diner and everybody wearing bikinis on the beach situation is really fun. That's not going to be my future. Um, but, you know, it hit me at some point, like literally when I was a tween and reading these books, like, but I can self-insert into, you know, so the way that some people self-insert into like the dreamiest romance, yeah. I self-insert into like the most mundane, you know, like <laughs> your most average day of Saved by the Bell is like. Yeah, I'm going to self-insert into that. <laughs> am I dating myself tremendously? I'm sorry. I definitely am. Oh, it no, I'm like, with you. I, I was, one of my gateways into romance was Sweet Valley High for sure. Yeah, I think you've seen my Sweet Valley High collection. I posted a picture of on Instagram before. I have. I know you saw my love stories and yeah, all those things. I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. <laughs> okay. So stand yeah. by. I also, like I said, I swear I'm not Instagram stalking you. No, I sound like such a creeper, but you have a one-year-old pandemic baby too. I do. It's his birthday today. Oh my gosh. Horrible. Happy birthday. Yep. Mazel tov to all of you. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I, I, it's very hard to keep my head together with all the different facets of things. Holidays are coming and him turning one and books, books, books everywhere. 
Um, and I have a day job. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, piece of I'm, cake. Let's pretend I'm doing right now. Yeah, um, for sure. So, uh, yeah, it's been a lot. Um, and having a pandemic baby is like, you have this wonderful bright spot in, yep. in all of this. But there are so many, just thinking about how few people he's encountered in his life. And yeah. like, he doesn't have the play group his older brother had. And he doesn't have the music classes his older brother had. And it's, you know, that kind of thing is, is tough. Also, there's some real sunshine in the house. Let me ask you, let me ask you about your, your, what I call the badass anthology collection. <laughs> you have edited some seriously badass anthologies. You have another one coming out. How do these come to be? What is the process of assembling the badass anthology? Two more coming out. Two. The, the fourth one is going to be an out. Is it's about girls in sports, and I'm co-editing it with Jennifer Icapelli, who is a sports maven. Um, so Amazing. that's that's a little different from the others, but I'm really excited about it. Out of our league, coming summer 2023. But the other three are more of a set. They're all um, anthologies of reimaginings. Um, and the the origin story of them actually is that on Twitter, I was randomly posing the question, if you could have any author retell any story, what would you choose? Um, and this woman who was actually a teacher replied that she would love an Edgar Allan Poe anthology with, and she named a few authors. And I was like, I love that idea. Um, but specifically with, and I named Stephanie Keene and Tiffany Jackson, who are just two brilliant psychological thriller authors. Right. Um, who I just know would like, you know, destroy Poe in the best way. Um, and they both responded like, oh yeah, I would do that. And then other people started replying, I would do that. I would do that. And I was like, oh, hold on. This is actually going to happen. Let me get off Twitter before <laughs> I make an entire lineup this way. Cause I, I literally had half the lineup just from authors replying. To me. Um, and I was like, no, no, no. I love thr- thrillers and horror and dark fantasy. Like I know who I want in this. Like I'm not doing this without, you know, shooting off emails to like Lamar Giles and Caleb Rarig and whatever. So, um, so I jumped off Twitter and I emailed them and everybody was in, I mean, this was, this is an unusually smooth process. I didn't have anybody say no. Um, everything was super fast. I didn't have any agents that were impossible to contract with. That's a whole separate nightmare. There's a lot of logistical nightmares to anthologies. Yes. It's a lot of agents. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of moving parts, which is one of the reasons why the badass anthology is so impressive. (laughs) But the first one was like an unusually, incredibly smooth experience. So um, then I wrote up a proposal. Actually, for anybody who's interested in doing this, you can look at my blog, which is dailydahlia.wordpress.com. And there's a post on there called, so you want to edit a YA anthology, though I've heard it it is applicable to other categories as well. Um, And literally my entire proposal is in there. So the premise and the target audience and, you know, those sales pitch aspects which includes why these authors are good choices for it, you know, and their merits. And so that was it. And that's how his hideous heart happened. And then, you know, I had a great relationship with my editor, Sarah Barley at Flatiron. So like, yes, we want to work together again. And then like, who do you, the only author you might read more in American high schools than Poe is Shakespeare. So that to me was sort of an obvious next one. And I mean, Shakespeare is retold a lot in YA. So I didn't only want it full of authors who are already doing that. I wanted some authors who were already doing that. And then, um, so this was a little bit different with the lineup. With Poe, his body of work is, you know, like 90% that he, you know, he's known for like these psychological thriller and horror-esque things. And then Mm -hmm. he has his detective stories. Yeah. So you're really kind of dealing in. Not, not, you know, sort of an obvious pool of authors who do these particular types of books, but with Shakespeare, 
there's the tragedies, there's the histories, there's the comedies. You can kind of dig in anywhere and pretty much anybody would have something to do with it. Yeah. Um, so for that, it was a little bit more of an adventure putting people together. I searched on Twitter to see if anyone, any authors that I liked had actually talked about wanting to be in a Shakespeare anthology because it was kind of an obvious idea that just nobody had ever done. Um, and I saw A.R. Capetta and Joy McCullough had both mentioned that. And I think they're both phenomenal. So I was like, please, please come write for me. The first big part is the outreach of names and the people you think will bring what you want to bring to the anthology. And it's not as simple as having just your friends. And it's not as simple right. as having just people who have experience with anthologies. And it's not, you know, you want to bring new names that'll be interesting, but familiar names that people already know and really want to read by. And you want to bring people who are tested in anthologies because yeah. not everybody can write short fiction. No, short is hard. Short is really short hard. Short is and very there's challenging. There's a lot of authors who just don't want to do it. I and mean, yeah. that's why you don't see them in any anthologies. They turn them down because they're like, I don't think I can write short stories. Mm-hmm. So, or I've tried and I hate it. So um, it's a little bit. So it sounds like it's a little bit inspiration and a little bit of fearlessness, too. You got to be like, hi, you don't know me, but I'm doing this thing. Get her, and, and yeah, one of my major life mottos is run it up the flagpole. See who salutes. Yeah. See what's up. <laughs> yeah. Where you can do that is great. The problem is they've become anthologies have become almost like a status symbol somehow. So if you run it up the flagpole, everyone salutes. (laughs) Not everybody you reach out to individually. If you go door to door handing out flags, some people are like, here's your flag back. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'm not doing that. But but it's one of those things where so many people want to do it that you kind of have to be... you know, there's, there's people who like do open calls of it. And I'm like, that's not me. I know what I want out of each collection. I know what vibes I want people to bring to it. I know what kind of different voices I want and the different representation I want. Um, I know what I'm looking for. So I am, I am very particular and thoughtful about, about who I approach. And I I think we've had really good results from that. And I have such a good partner in Flatiron and John Contino is like the most amazing cover designer I could have ever dreamed. I think my covers are awesome, which does not hurt. No, no. The so. the Poe anthology cover was like, it jumped out at you from across the room. Yeah, I love it. So um, yeah, so that's really the process is you do, so you do the lineup mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, you have to have everyone tell you what they're doing. But for example, so if you're doing an anthology like this, like Poe, like Shakespeare, you have to make sure everybody's not trying to retell the same story. So yeah. then everybody tell me your top three choices of what you want to do. And it's shocking how little overlap there was. Really? With, with both Poe and Shakespeare. Yeah. Wow. Very little that had to be worked out. More with the fairy tales. Fairy tales, there were more people kind of jumping on top of the same things. Mm-hmm. Um, though not necessarily the stories you'd expect. And, but with, with Poe and Shakespeare, it was actually pretty easy to divvy that up. But with Shakespeare, because I knew I wanted to do like half comedy, half tragedy, mm-hmm. I approached, you know, I made my list of like, let's say seven, tra- seven authors I thought would do tragedy and seven I thought would do comedy. And then when people surprised me, I had to juggle it around again. Yeah. So if somebody I was sure would want to do something stabby and then they're like, I want to do the most lighthearted comedy. I'm like, Okay. okay. There goes somebody off my comedy list and now I have to find somebody new for tragedy. So that actually was a little bit of a build as you go kind of list. Yeah. And then, but people really don't realize how much the logistics fall on the editor, oh. editor, i.e. me. There's like oh. one publisher that does it for you. But if you're not with them, and I'm not, <laughs> you do, you know, you contract with all the agents. Um, you send out all the payments. Now that publishing is doing its thing of breaking things up into multiple payments. We have, we're co-editors on an anthology paying in thirds. That's 45 payments. 
Like it's a nightmare. A piece of my so, soul just died. Yeah. And oh then my you God, that's a lot of math. It's, it's so much. And thankfully I have a wonderful agent now who has helped me with some of the harder things as the contracting somehow gets worse and worse with each anthology. So in addition to the inspiration and the assembly and the editing, you also get the opportunity to sort of renovate a lot of really familiar stories. So what's, mm-hmm. what's in some, what are some of the stories you can talk about from the fairy tale anthology? Are there any you can talk about yet? I feel like I can. I mean, the manuscript is not like officially delivered and accepted, but the, you know, stories are accepted on my end. So I feel like I can talk about it a little bit. Oh, yay. Um, there is, um, so let's see, we have um, Little Red Riding Hood is, is now a heist and subsequent revenge. Oh, um, that fits. So that's very cool. That tracks. I see yeah, you jump so there. Yep. I'm really into that. Um, Snow White um, is a beautiful story with a transgender protagonist um, who is, you know, getting out of his mother's shadow. Um, so that's, that's really the focus on that, which I love. Um, Fitcher's Bird, which was actually a new story to me, is like this really cool um, colonial Indian kind of magical story with tigers and and it's so creepy. I'm like I'm trying to figure out what details I can share. There's some straight up horror. I mean, Ooh. Hansel and Gretel is is cannibalistic horror. That's a horror story. This one. Oh yeah, that's a horror story. Yeah. Oh, and it and it's maintained a horror story. It's actually the, the collection is dark. There's like one sweet romance in it um, by Anna Marie McLemore, who's like anthology pro in everything. Um, and that's amazing. But oh no, I guess I guess the Cinderella is also a pretty sweet story. But you know, this one has drag queens and social media presence, and it's you know very thoroughly modernized. It's yeah. so interesting too when you look at fairy tales because so much of them were prescriptive tales of limiting power among women mm-hmm. a lot of the time and were meant to keep the idea of gender and and role in society in this very very narrow definition if you're just like kablooey let's blow this way out and and include everybody and retell all these stories that must feel very thrilling it's very thrilling and it has been the natural outcome of all these anthologies. Which oh yeah. Feels honestly phenomenal. His hideous heart. I gave no direction other than like approximate word count. I mean, it's Poe. You, you kind of know what you're supposed to do in terms of vibe. Um, and nobody turns in a story with a white male main character, even though those completely dominated Poe's stories, all these new gazes that weren't in Poe's original work at all. And it made such a difference. And it was really fascinating and phenomenal what a difference it made. So as I've gone on in these, I have more actively sought that out. Yeah. Um, you know, with a little more like what I hope people will do. And again, I don't really necessarily give instruction, but I'm more, I mean, there are things where I'm like, you know, cross-dressing is such a strong theme in Shakespeare. And I'm like, okay, some of these stories need to go to trans authors. Like this is, this is what we're doing here. So there was a little bit more like, I would love you to join. I would really love you to tell one of these stories. So I was a little bit more, um, you know, kind of shoving specific stories at people that were stories that had to be in the anthology, you know, just because I feel like for a Shakespeare anthology, you know, certain stories are a must. And then there was, you know, who I wanted to be telling them. So I got a little more active with that. 
So just having new people be the heroes of these and new people see themselves in these versions of the works. And the best part, having that come into classrooms yeah. and having it get studied officially. Like you can have a Poe unit and instead of the Poe unit feeling exclusive to everyone but like white men, uh, your Poe unit can now be about everybody if you study his hideous heart, which also happens to contain the original Poe story. So um, that part feels just phenomenal about it. That is such a cool and lasting si- signal of your work, of how much it means too. like to have your work yeah. on a syllabus. That's a it's, big thrill. And it's something I never thought I would have because you can't like, what's the other thing I do? Like really light contemporary work. Yep. Like, yeah, there's some school libraries that are cool for the summer because, you know, it could be a really good book to give to a newly out by kid or something, mm-hmm. or you just want to have you know, an entertaining read, but it's not, you know, my books are not syllabus books. I didn't write the hate you give, you know? (laughs) So to have books that are actually going to like get, that actually do get into classrooms is, it's just not something I ever pictured myself being able to do. And it's, I know this feeling and it is a thrill. It is absolutely a thrill. We will be right back with our discussion of vintage YA next, but first I have one thing to tell you about. This episode is brought to you in part by Acorn TV. If you are feeling like you have watched everything, possibly twice, and would like some new weekly shows and brand new binge-worthy treats, you have to get Acorn TV. Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you will not find anywhere else. You get thousands of hours of new content on Acorn TV, For a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services, Acorn is just $5.99 a month. And heads up, Xena fans. Did you know Lucy Lawless has a really cool mystery show on Acorn? It's called My Life is Murder. It is an Australian detective drama with a retired investigator who is constantly being asked to solve cold cases. And maybe you saw this on the internet, Renee O'Connor, who played Gabrielle on Xena Warrior Princess, recently guest starred. I love it. There are so many gorgeous shows on Acorn TV that are from overseas that I never would have seen without it. If you are ready for a streaming service that offers new stories, new characters, and breathtaking sceneries every week, do what I did. Get Acorn TV. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code, Sarah. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase letters. That's acorn, A-C-O-R-N dot TV code, Sarah, Get your first 30 days for free. And if you've got Acorn and you have Rex, please share them with me. I would love to hear them. And now back to my interview with Dahlia Adler, where we talk about vintage YA. Remember Sweet Valley High, Sweet Dreams, Bantam? Yep, that's where we're going. On with the show. Okay, so back to me stalking you on Instagram, because that's a totally (laughs) normal way to build a podcast. We So we're talking about stories that have been around for a really long time. And that center and focus on a very specific group of white people. You mm-hmm. recently posted a stack of Bantam love stories. I did. Okay. We have to talk about this because I know you and I both share a history with Sweet Valley. And yeah. I was very much a Sweet Dreams reader too. But Sweet Dreams mm-hmm. and Love Stories were both Bantam but slightly different. And I'm not as familiar with love stories. Can you tell me about these and tell me about the ones that you have? Because some of these sound absolutely incredible, particularly Sharing Sam. Oh, my God. So Sharing Sam. So what's funny about these is like, and also with Sweet Valley High, is sometimes I would get so excited by these premises I thought were brilliant. And I would like tell them to my family, including my parents. And my parents would look back at me and go like, 
that's the plot of this movie that was big in the 80s. It was always, they were actually ripping off things that yep. I just didn't know about because I was too young. So Sharon Sam is some existing movie, like Lonesome Dove or something like that. I wish I had looked up the plot so I could make sure that I'm giving the right movie. But it's about this girl is like really into a guy. Um, and she's the, it's okay. So there's a main character. I think her name is Isabel. Um, and her best friend is Sam and Sam falls for this guy, but Isabel also falls for this guy and this guy falls back for Isabel, but Sam's dying of cancer. So Isabel and the guy um, never, never. So Isabel says to the guy, date Sam, make her happy. She's dying. So the guy dates Sam, but all the while he and Isabel are in love with each other and they just lie about it and keep it from Sam the whole time because they just want her to have a happy last few months. So Sam is falling in love with the guy and the guy pretends he's falling in love with Sam, but then he does start falling for Sam because he's spending all this time with her and she is a great girl. Um, and so it's all very complicated. Um, and I won't spoil the ending because I think it's worth reading. It was really good. But it was this very depressing, sad, but clearly memorable book. So um, most of the other plots I don't remember, but they're, you know, your very standard girl meets boy. I don't think there was ever a queer one. Nope. There might have been some with people of color. I don't remember any with any disabled main characters. I don't remember any fat main characters. I mean, we're talking very standard 80s, 90s. One look makes it in there. Yep. Um, and they're very soapy. Yes, they're very soapy. They but lean. what's actually cool is yeah. a lot of the authors are familiar names if you look at them. Yes. Yes. So oh, my I gosh. Knew. Yeah. I knew at least one person would respond with, I wrote one of those. And they did. I don't even have that huge a stack. Yep. But somebody did write back that they had written one of those. And I'm like, I have to look through them all again and see what all the names are. But they really, it's clearly how some authors got their start. I think Catherine Applegate wrote some of them. I don't know if it's the same Catherine Applegate who's behind like Animorphs and stuff. But I, I, I think it is actually. And it's funny because these are not available digitally. You can only get these used. They're all out of print. But much like Sweet Valley High, which are now in KU, God help me, um, yeah. that you have, you, you you look at these and if these were the books you read, you recognize them instantly. There's a specific mm -hmm. feel. There's a specific set of, of character types. There's always going to be these very familiar conflicts like the jock and the nerd. You yeah. see that iteration 10 times. Every trope, every really stereotypical pairing. I mean, they have them, but they were absolute book candy. I mean, that's such a good term for it. They're absolutely book candy. <laughs> the sweet dreams ones too. Oh yeah. But standalones, which was very different. Yes. Yes. Not that sweet yeah. Valley high is known for its continuity. Yeah. Because until they killed <laughs> well, a character. No, continuously in junior year. For yes. About 20 years. Two spring breaks, two holiday yeah. breaks, two summer yeah. breaks, two, two winter Christmas things. And until they, they yeah. It's I some version of continuity. <laughs> you're, you're just going to be 16 and blonde. And and the, the fat phobia of those books is just oh screechingly God. terrible. It's uh, horrible. It's, but I remember, you know, there was the whole, the twins are a perfect size set. Yes. How? That kept. That kept me going when I was a size six. And I'm like, I feel awesome about this. And then when I was a size eight, I was like, what I'm no longer than the Wakefield twins, I'm perfect. Yep. You know, and then, you know, and so on and so forth. And then they reissued the books like 20 years ago, maybe yep. 15 years ago. And they changed them to a size four. I know. Very few updates they made to the books. And that was one of them. And it was horrifying. And the uproar was significant as it should have been. And justifiable. Good God. Yeah. I'm like, keep your updates to like, yeah, the Oracle is now an online paper. That makes sense. 
but yeah, no, that was, that was a depressing change, but yeah, those books were. And, and until they killed a character by having a refrigerator drop on her during an earthquake, there was Mm. remarkably little character development. Those characters yeah. were going to stay the same. And what I loved about the the Sweet Dreams, the, the Bantam YA books, and also what sounds like love stories is that it was a complete love story between those characters. And you got that serious high grade hit of dopamine of having that, I think it's dopamine, of having <laughs> that, that happy ending, like everything is so angsty and so emotional and things are so hard and I might fail chemistry and I'm falling in love. And then everything's wonderful. You get an A in chemistry and your boyfriend adores you. But like when I say I wanted to just live in the mundane other life, I mean, that's what I mean. I yeah. didn't want drama bigger than that. I didn't want a refrigerator falling on my friend. By the way, no. speaking of lack of continuity, those books happened after Sweet Valley University started. So she's still alive in Sweet Valley <laughs> University <laughs> because she's a minor character who only appears once when they go home for a high school reunion. But it's hilarious that they see her no. there and then they killed her off in a Sweet Valley High that was written later. Just a little bit of fun trivia for you. Okay, that is hilarious and has made my entire morning. And when you have those books, they came out once a month. Mm -hmm. And and the same with the other YA romances. There were always new ones. They were like Harlequin for teens. There was was always a new set every month. There were always new stories. And there was always like the same sort of tropes and romantic entanglements that you were going to experience. With Sweet Valley High, because you (laughs) people who read those books like we did, they lived in that world. Like I remember yeah. so many things. I have a podcast to tell you about, by the way. Ooh, okay. There are two, two Irish ladies have a podcast called Double Love, where they yeah. are rereading and recapping each book in order. Oh, no. And it is, first of all, it's hilarious. Second of mm-hmm. all, there's plenty of Irish slang, which makes it extra more good. <laughs> Third, they are not here for any of the bullshit that we just mentioned. And they're, so they're part of a podcast network called Headstuff. And if you join Headstuff Plus, you get extra bonus episodes where they are also recapping the TV show. Oh my God. But if nothing else, that TV show. Oh, it was, that was some serious teen viewing, but if nothing else, check out their Instagram. I will obviously, I will link to it in the show notes, but in the Instagram, they are tracing back the source photographs for some of the cover art. And it's all this interesting behind the scenes stuff, because these were I, I want to say they weren't necessarily book packaged, but they were very heavily produced, these books. Mm-hmm. There was a whole like so, Bible for Sweet Valley. I wonder if that was true for the other Bantam lines. Like this, these know, are the I'm things. I'm so curious now. Right? Like I want to find out who wrote, who, who edited these. This is the, this, this is the problem with, with being involved in books for so long behind the scenes. I'm like, yeah. okay, who edited these? What was it like? What kind of meetings did you have? What the meeting was like? Somebody did comment on my Instagram post, something about having worked in these, <gasps> like not as an author. All right. I, I think it was Alana Roth, who's now an agent. Yeah. My first boss was the packager. Yeah. Packager. Yeah. Yes, exactly. These are all very packaged. I, I love this. I love it's this just so, so much. interesting how different packaging was back then. Like the, the way it shifted from having these long series to like, Absolutely not. Now, now you can't find a YA, a contemporary realistic YA series. Like four books is the max. What you can I, have like companion worlds. Yes. Even those are pretty short. I mean, Miranda Keneally's Hundred Oaks series is like the longest I can think of. And it's seven books, eight books. Yeah. So have you thought about doing these, this type of YA love story updated? What a series that would be. Wouldn't that be cool? Like updated love <laughs> I mean, stories, updated sweet dreams. 
I don't feel like publishing is so open to series like this right now. No, it's um, really not. There are people who are doing really fun standalone romances that are a lot more diverse than, you know, what we saw in these. Um, so I really, I devour those. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying them. Like, I read so much YA standalone romance. Um, but I would love to see more that's in the same world or, you know, just kind of spinning off with the same characters. So you yeah. keep seeing them over and over. There's so little of that. Like I can definitely think of some, but again, super short series. Yeah. Even where you get the same characters over and over. Different. Um, yeah. No, I would kill to do something like this. I mean, if you were like, hey, you can just write like a new Sweet Valley High and like that's going to be your job for the rest of your life. Like I'm in. That's fine. Maybe that could be, I mean, I'm sure the copyright would be a friggin' nightmare, but that would be an amazing anthology. Sweet Valley Revisited. Oh my God. I'm sure copyright is a nightmare, but I would be all over that. Would that not be amazing? <laughs> if anybody's listening who can make that yes. happen. This, listen, yeah. Dahlia, this is my favorite game. Yeah. Where's my venture capitalist? <laughs> I just, I just want, you know, the dump truck of money to show up at my house. I got ideas. I got lots of them. Just call me. <laughs> I'm but so would, into this. This is an excellent idea. But my imagine. agent would be like, get out. Yeah. Do I <laughs> even want a deal? Wonderful. But she had never done anthologies until she signed me. And I happened to have kind of, in the period between when I left my last agent and signed with her, I kind of accidentally sold both of my upcoming anthologies. Oops. Oops, exactly. Um, so she had to like quickly take on both of them to do the contracting and stuff. And she was like, you seriously want to do more of these? These are <laughs> horrible. I didn't realize how horrible this was. Uh, and she's uh, absolutely right. I mean, they're a nightmare. And I, I feel bad because I've made it a nightmare for her too. So I'm like, in my head, there's two more ideas I really want to do. Yeah. Um, and then I'm done. But I get you know, it. I, I said this recently on Twitter and a lot of people picked up on it and have like quoted it back to me that anthologies are for me like tattoos are for other people. <laughs> there's something about the pain that like I seem to keep disregarding and wanting more. Why? Don't know. But yeah. it's like never really done. Just doing one just makes me want to do another one, even while I'm in the hell of it. So <laughs> it's funny because you said earlier that the the YA, um, the little, the little YA books were like romance candy. They were like yeah. candy. You don't sit and think and savor like, wow, what was that Jolly Rancher really like? I want to remember the tape. Yeah. No, you just have another <laughs> Jolly Rancher. It's the same thing with anthologies and tattoos. You don't remember the specifics, but you just remember yeah. the overall experience of it. And you want more yes. of that. Yep. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Memory is a but weird honestly, thing. Also, like what they say about childbirth, like if you didn't forget it, you would never be able to do it again. It's true. Extremely true. Very so, like, true. You definitely forget enough of how bad it was the last time. Now I'm doing two at once. So maybe that'll really hammer it home. <laughs> But so what else are you collecting? So I do collect signed books. I mean, for me, it's really fun because it's my friends. Like my dad collects signed first editions of books. I collect books, you know, signed by Becky Albertalli. Yeah. That's, um, you know, whatever I can get signed by friends is great. So it's been really fun, especially during the pandemic when I really want to support indie bookstores is like really hopping around, seeing where everybody's doing their, their signing, know, yeah, their events through and who they're signing with and then trying to get books from there. It's been like a little fun. It's my Pokemon. <laughs> you gotta catch them all. <laughs> so, you know, I wish I could do like signed books and books I blurbed and you yeah. know, personalized books. And, and all those different things. Um, so I do collect all of that. Otherwise, in terms of stuff, I mean, I have more candles than I should for that. I never use them. But 
the truth is what I really like to get and it's marketing minded is I love buying anything that could conceivably be considered swag for my books. Oh, I get it. So, you know, I could get heart shaped sunglasses to look like my cool for the summer cover. I could get pom poms and that's home field advantage. And in my head, I'm getting all these things to take pretty Instagram pictures or whatever, but I'm actually horrible at taking Instagram pictures. Although apparently they work for you. They work real well for me. You're doing great. Keep going. You're doing terrific. But now I know I need to, I need to work harder to impress you. I didn't realize anybody was looking at my Instagram that early. So, um, so I like to get things that are kind of tangentially related to my books and for Shakespeare and Poe, that's been really fun. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I also always, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do a giveaway of all these different Shakespeare themed things. And then I'm like, I only got one of each of them. I'm keeping them. And that's what that keeps happening to me. But I have, you know, like Poe pencil pouch and Shakespeare tarot cards. Yep. I just have like the most ridiculous collections of, of Poe and Shakespeare stuff. And that's really fun. But I just, my office is very small. Yeah. Um, I, I chose this little nook in my house to be my office. Um, and it, it absolutely cannot fit all these things I'm talking about having here. <laughs> I mean, and it's some of it's like I have a Poe lunchbox down here that Fran Wilde, who was one of my contributors to Insidious Heart, and um, we did a panel and she brought me a Poe lunchbox that had chocolate hearts in it, but like anatomically correct hearts. <laughs> like, of course, I still have that just sitting next to my desk. Have I eaten the chocolate? No. Is it still in there? Sure is. When did my book come out? September 10th, 2019. <laughs> it's still good. <laughs> It probably is still good. I did open it up to see if it got gross and it didn't. So I feel a little better. But like I bought a lithograph of the Raven. Did I ever hang it up? No, I did not. So what books are you reading right now that you want to tell people about? I'm like looking at my, I have a, my TBR listed up here. You have um, your so TBR on a whiteboard. Yes. <gasps> oh, yeah. That is yeah. smart. You have your TBR on a whiteboard in your office. Ooh. I, I do. I also keep it in a notebook and everything. Um, so I just read A Touch of Ruckus by Ash Van Otterloo, which is a really cute Appalachian queer middle grade um, with magic and a non-binary love interest. And it's a really sweet story that has, I hate saying cottagecore vibes, but it really just does have cottagecore vibes. Um, I've had, so I mostly read YA partly because a lot of my reading is just reading for blurbs. Right. Um, but also because I, I primarily do YA um, blogging for BuzzFeed, but I have determined this year that I'm going to read at least one adult book a month. Um, so these aren't necessarily recent reads, but going through some of the adult reads I have read this year that I really liked. Um, yes, Daddy by Jonathan Parks Hermage, which content warning for like absolutely everything. But that was just a phenomenal gay thriller. Um, I just read Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Finally, of course, I like after Filthy Animals, I finally got back to real life. Um, so that was great. I'm reading now. God, I can't remember the name of it. It's something like What Happened to Isabel or Whatever Happened to Isabel. I don't know, by Candace Jane Dorsey. I love um, PI series with like really snarky, you know, detective heroines. Yes. Um, like I love Kristen LaPianca's Roxanne Weary series. So this is another one kind of in that vein um, that I was really excited about. And the second one comes out in October. Um, so they pitched me, you know, the second book and I'm like, I want to read the first book. And I also have the first book. So that was very <laughs> kind of them to send it to me. Um, and God, September is such a huge month. Like there's so much I want to read and I just haven't gotten there yet. Like I'm so excited about Summer Suns by Lee Mandela, which is like also queer Appalachian. I really like queer Appalachian stuff. Um, but I'm very behind on romance. Like I got Alexandria Bell Fleur's Hang the Moon. 
haven't read it yet. You're even though I love loved it. Written in the Stars. You're going to love it. I know. Yeah, I just read a cool book called Major Detours by Zach Sergi. Sergi. Um, that comes out September 7th. And it's a choose your own adventure YA. Oh. That's based in tarot. Ooh. So the whole thing is like a tarot card centric adventure. And I know nothing about tarot. Um, but the choose your own adventure aspect was such a cool thing to see again for the first time in years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it got on my radar because I did the cover reveal for LGBTQ reads. And then I was like, how does this work? And it's yep. just, you know, if you're going to do this, turn to this page. And then if you made this choice, turn to this. Page. I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah. This totally makes sense. I remember I those. Do whatever I want. Also published um, by Bantam, I think. It was So, yeah, that was really cool. Um, have you like, tried, yeah. have you tried any interactive fiction? I am obsessed with choices. Obsessed. It is my favorite game like that. I mean, also because I find the graphics so much better than every other game. And I find it hard to play the different apps when I don't like the graphics so much when they look yeah. funny to me. Um, so I have to admit that plays in, but I love, love, love choices. Yeah. Like I have played it for years. I actually interviewed um, some of the people involved on my blog years ago. Oh, cool. Girl. <laughs> Isn't that the cool thing about being a blogger? Like this, I'm a really big fan of your thing. Can we talk about your yeah. thing? Cause I want to talk about it with you, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? More people want to than like starting out bloggers ever think. Like I thought for sure, everyone was going to say no to me forever. Um, until I ever got a platform, but no people want a place to talk about their work and it doesn't really matter how big you are because if they're big they just want a repository for their words like they want the information somewhere yeah. so if they're they just want somewhere to link to it doesn't matter if you have two followers it doesn't matter who finds it organically through me yeah like they have more information and i feel like up and coming bloggers don't necessarily think that when they're getting too daunted to ask bigger names mm-hmm. um so don't be afraid ask yeah Run it up the flagpole if people want to find you where can they find you so I am on all social media as, I shouldn't say all social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Miss Dalai Lama, M-I-S-S-D-A-H-L-E-L-A-M-A, DaliaAdler.com. My books are around. Newest release is Cool for the Summer. Next one is Home Field Advantage. And then I'm also on LGBTQ Reads and at LGBTQ Reads on all social media. That one is true. And you can also find me on BuzzFeed Books. And yeah. I am, I am around, I am loud, I am easy to find. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Dahlia Adler for hanging out with me and for sharing her cool collection of Bantam love stories. If you would like to find her online, I will link to all of the places where she is, and I will link to her article, So You Want to Edit a YA Anthology. And of course, I will have links to all of the books that we talked about. I would never let you down like that. I am curious, though, did you read Sweet Dreams or Bantam Love Stories? Were they your gateway into romance? I would love to hear from you. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. But I also want to tell you, this conversation has inspired me to start a new podcast project. Inside this podcast, don't worry, you don't have to go anywhere. I definitely read Sweet Dreams romances, and I remember some of them very vividly, even specific scenes inside some of the books. So I have decided that I am going to do the Sweet Dreams Romance Recap Project. I'm going to recap the first 20 Sweet Dreams romances. I have them right here on my desk. I bought them used. They're not even digital. You can only get them from used bookstores. So in the Sweet Dreams Romance Recap Project, I am going to devote an episode to each of the first 20 Sweet Dreams romances. We're going to look at the incredible cover photography, the context, and the story itself, and the writer. Many of them are still writing under new and surprising names. But we're going to look at each novel, each episode, sometimes with a co-host, who will recap and discuss with me. 
The first episode will be out on October 15th and will be about book one, P.S. I Love You by Barbara Conklin, a book many, many readers remember. So if these were your gateway into romance or you remember some of these, I want to hear from you. Email me. You can even use Sarah at smartpitchestrashybooks.com. It all ends up in the same place. And put sweet dreams in the subject line. I would really love to hear which one was your favorite. And as always, I end with a terrible, terrible joke. And this is no exception. I love this joke. I have made many people around me laugh with it. Are you ready? Serious podcaster voice. Why do teenage girls walk in groups of three, five, and seven? Give up? Why do teenage girls walk in groups of three, five, and seven? Because they literally can't even. (laughs) They literally can't even. (laughs) That is from Bearded Bro 19. High fives to you, Bearded Bro 19. (laughs) Cannot even. I cannot even. I cannot even finish this episode without making a mess. <laughs> On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading and a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>